spin a little bit, kind of dig, do a collective exhale after what was probably a pretty busy season. Hope you've had a chance to spend time with family and friends as well. Well, this is the last Sunday of 2014. Can you believe it? The very last Sunday. And the last week of every year typically has, you see it online and in magazines and on television, the year in review lists. You've seen these lists? You'll see a lot of them this coming week. Usually see the top 10 moments in sports and news and entertainment. And we'll be flooded with that in the coming days. And whenever I see these lists, I'm always amazed at how little I actually remember of what took place over the past year. And just how much I've actually forgotten. Which makes me think, like, um, how good is my memory at the end of the day? And I'll ask you the same question. How good is your memory? Not just about what happened the past 12 months, but in general. Do you feel like as you're getting older that your memory is getting stronger or weaker as you get older? And I hear weaker from several people. You know, take for example how difficult it is to account for your time. In a detailed way, I mean. Like, think back to Monday, December 22nd, three days before Christmas. How did you get to work that day? Did you walk? Bike, drive? Was it raining? Are you sure? Did you go to any stores that day? If so, what did you buy in the store last Monday, December 22nd? How many people did you come across on that day? Write down their names right now, the people you met. No, I'm kidding. But you see how difficult it is? It's difficult to remember back, isn't it? Just even to think about things in those little details. You know, the reality is all of us have lapses in memory. We all do. And I'm relieved to find out that I'm not the only one who forgets things. In fact, a study was done recently from John Hopkins University by a researcher that looked back at the top five things that people forget the most. And they came up with a pretty eye-opening list. Before I show you the list, why don't you just shout out some of the things that we forget? What do you think's on the list? Keys. <laughs> and we got a collective amen on the keys, right? What are some of the other things we forget? Glasses. Names. We forget names, don't we? Forget children. I hope not. Where's my kids go again? We're at the mall. I hope that doesn't happen. What else? A few more. Forget our medicine. Not good. Birthdays. You can forget birthdays. Taking the trash out, which our spouse, most likely our wives, don't like. Hey, check out this list. This is the five things. Here's number five on the screen. Top five things we forget. Number five is, drum roll please. And here it is, my friends. Number five. <laughs> the suspense is killing us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's going to pop up on the screen, but check it out. Number five is faces. There it is. Number five, faces. If you get faces, I think I recognize you, not quite sure. Number four, what was said. Now, that's not a big deal if you're watching some reality television program. It is if it's from your boss, teacher, or spouse, right? Then forgetting's not so good. Okay, number three, telephone numbers. Aren't we glad we live in a day and age? It doesn't matter if we remember our phone numbers, other people's, right? It doesn't matter anymore. Unless your phone gets dropped in the water, that could be kind of bad. Number two, where something is. The keys, the sunglasses. Anyone forget their sunglasses? I'm losing those all the time. Keys, sunglasses. And number one, little drum roll, names. We said it. Forget people's names. We can be a forgetful people. That's just a few examples. And you know what? Sometimes forgetting's just not 
simply just not paying attention, right? Sometimes it's just we're not just focused or paying attention. But when it comes to our spiritual lives, it's important for us to never neglect what God's given to us and never forget what God's done for us. You know, as we open up God's word today on this last Sunday of the year, I believe there's a really good message that God has for us from his word today. And as we prepare to hear from God's word, why don't we close our eyes and I'll just briefly pray over us as we prepare to open up God's word. God, it is good to be here today. And God, there's perhaps still a lot on our minds and things we're thinking about. Hopefully all of us are starting to relax a little bit now and and unwind. And God, we pray in these coming moments that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you uniquely have for us today, God. Would you transform us and would you change us? Make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is not surprised by our human lapses of our memory. He's not surprised. So throughout history, for generations, he's provided markers, ways for us to remember, and ways for his followers to remember his goodness and what he's done. If you would, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. And today we're going to look at three verses, verses 21 through 24. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along in your bulletin. There's um, an insert you can follow along to. Um, the verses will also be up on the screen. Joshua chapter 4. And to give you a little bit of background, this is what's happening in this text before this moment we're about to read about. A little background. The people of Israel at this point have spent a long time wandering around the wilderness. Kind of directionless. Not listening to God. Rebelling against God. They don't go into the promised land as Moses commanded. They're not following the Lord's commands. Now that generation dies and God raises up a new leader in Joshua. And as he raises up this leader, he tells Joshua that he's going to lead his people into the promised land now. So they follow him physically going through the area east of the Jordan. And the only obstacle that's out in front of them that remains is the Jordan River itself. The Bible tells us that at this time, the water levels are so high, they're overflowing their banks at harvest time. The water's flowing so fast, and it's so broad and deep, that if any adult were to go into that river, they would surely drown, much less their children and animals. And this is a big problem. And the children of Israel start complaining yet again and saying, God, you're calling us to go here now, but how are we going to get there? What are we going to do? Then God comes to Joshua, his leader, and says, I'm going to do something about this problem that shows everyone that I am with you and that I'm for you. And this is what God does. He says, this is what I want you to do. God tells us to Joshua, he says, I want you to have all of your priests pick up the Ark of the Covenant and carry it to the edge of the water that's overflowing its banks. And God says, once they hit, the soles of their feet hit the water, he says, I'm going to stop the flow of water from upstream, and the riverbed's going to dry up. And once it does, I want all of the priests to carry the Ark into the center of the, the dry ground, the, the water riverbed, and he says, then I want all the people to cross, which were about a million people at that time. And then once they cross over, what I want them to do is to identify one person from each tribe, 12 people, to go back into the riverbed where the priests are still standing. 
And I want them to pick up a rock and take it back to the campsite and make a memorial to remember what I've done. And the people follow God's instruction. They do exactly what they're told. And it plays out exactly as God described it. It plays exactly the way he said it. And they bring the rocks to remember what God had did around their camp. They built a memorial. Now, this generation hadn't seen the miracle of the Red Sea. They weren't part of the exodus out of Egypt. That was their parents' and grandparents' generation. So they believed that God did miracles. They heard about the stories many times. They knew their people were in slavery and were freed, but no big miracle had been done for them until this moment. And now God has done something new for their generation. And God provides for them a tangible way to remember what he's done. Now as we look at Joshua chapter 4, all eyes are fixed on Joshua. And this is what Joshua says. Verse 21. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their fathers, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just as he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now there's one thing in this text that really stands out to me above everything else. Because God's already done miracles, right? The people would have known God had done miracles in the past too. But what stands out to me is God makes sure that the people remember what he has done. And that the meaning of what he has done is translated well to the next generation. And I think what God is saying in this passage and many others like it is that people, you and I, have short memories for the things that we'll, we think we'll never forget and for the things that God wants us to remember. So this is what God's telling the people to do in Joshua chapter 4. He says, I'm going to show it to you, and then I want you to already be thinking about how you will show it to someone else. That this miracle I'm about to do for you is for you, and for you to share for your next generation, and down to the next generation. How many people were in kindergarten at one point? This is an all play. Hopefully all of you were, or you're in trouble. You remember in kindergarten show and tell? You'd have show and tell, and the way it worked, you'd have two or three people, the teacher would tap on the shoulder and say, I want you to bring an object that means a lot to you and show it to the class tomorrow. And then you and I would grab our Barbie doll, Tonka trucks, our baseball cards or mitts or whatever it was, and we'd bring it to class. And at some time in that day, the teacher would bring all the students to the front of the room, in front of the whiteboard, maybe chalkboard for some of us, and there was a rug in front, and each um, child sat in a little square in their own little spot, and probably rolling all over the place. But if it was your turn, you'd stand up and you'd hold your object, wouldn't you? And with much joy and passion, you would share what you brought. This object that meant so much to you and was so precious to you. you. We can look at this passage and it's almost like a God-centered show and tell. That we're to take objects and events that remind us of God's faithfulness and show them to the next generation. 
We're to show it to the next generation. I believe all of us in this room want to make a positive impact to the next generation. We want to leave a legacy. We all do at the end of the day. And for us to be able to do that, two things need to happen. One is we need to become good at remembering God's faithfulness in our life. We need to become good at it. And then the second thing is we need to learn how to connect the dots and translate it to the next generation. We need to learn how to do that and do it better and do it well, I should say. So with that in mind, for this talk, I just want to give a few specific practical examples of how to live this out and really to look at this text and look more deeply at this moment in history and say, how do we relate it to today? Because there's a lot here for us. And the first thing I believe we need to take away from this passage is this, is that we need to learn to pay close attention to what God is doing. To learn to pay attention to what God is doing. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 23, the author writes this, and it's God's words, and God says, listen and hear my voice. Pay attention and hear what I say. Now, that sounds kind of obvious, right? But think about it. How good are we really at knowing what God is doing in us, in our families, what God is doing in our neighborhood today and in our generation? You know, I believe being aware of God moving in our lives is just what God wants so badly to grow our intimacy with God, for us to grow in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now, As a pastor, you will not be surprised with me saying what I'm about to say to you. And it's this. I think it's very good for us to read our Bibles. Are you shocked? I will say it again. It's good for us to read our Bibles, to learn the stories from the past. It's very important. It's important for us to memorize Bible verses to cling to and hold on to. It's important for us to pass them on to the next generation. And when we do that, the results will be this that we'll realize that God is all-powerful, that he's awesome, that he's present, that he's engaged, that God was all of those things two, three, four thousand years ago. That in the days of Esther and David and Joshua and Moses, God did miraculous miracles. And that miracles rained down on Noah and Abraham and Daniel. But if we only look at the stories from the past, and only share those stories with our children, we're only sharing half the stories. That there's the truth that God, our creator, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That yes, the stories from the past we look to, we're called to read the Bible, we're called to study and remember. It gives us the foundation of which to live our lives. So we continually look back to God's word. And we become good at seeing how God's moving today paying attention to how he's moving in our lives today because God's a living, active, and alive God. And as we think about our children and the next generation, we ask ourselves the question, how are we helping them see God at work today? You know, in her book, Spiritual Parenting, Dr. Michelle Anthony talks about, in this chapter, about the big God story. And she talks about in educating our kids how important it is to share the big God story. And she says um, to parents um, and Sunday school teachers that she suggests making this chart and this line item, this like line, I should say, and kind of going this way to this way. She says, make a line and put on one side the creation of the world, 
And then all the way down here is 2015 and until Jesus comes back, however long that line is. But she says, every time you teach your child the story of the Bible, put it chronologically on the timeline. To teach our children of what God's done, who lived when, and what happened. God's faithfulness all the way down the line. But then what she says is, I love it. She says, put down your child's name and the year that they were born. And maybe one quality about them that you put on the line item of God's faithfulness, of something he's done in their life. And the point is this, and you, you see the point. It's teaching them that they too are a part of God's big story. Just like you and I are part of God's story. So we become aware of what God's doing. The second thing is we build a tangible memorial to God when he does something in our lives. We build a tangible memorial when God does something in our lives. Now, what these people went through, the children of Israel, was a pretty big deal. And it's pretty certain that none of them forgot what God did. But what about their children and their grandchildren? How would they know about what happened? Unless people told them about it, yes. But a memorial set it apart from just some tall tale or legend or myth. You know what, in America... Our country's pretty good at building memorials. I think we're really good at it as a country. On the screen, here's just a few examples of memorials that we have. This is Pearl Harbor. Right below this memorial, of course, is the USS Arizona that was attacked and bombed. It's still leaking on black tears today. The next picture, you know what this is? This is Boston. This is Paul Revere. This is the Freedom Trail. And Boston's an amazing city if you haven't been there, but all throughout Boston is the Freedom Trail. And on prime real estate of Boston that could be developed, it's their historical landmarks, gifts to our generation of what happened in history. So that's Paul Revere, the Freedom Trail. Next slide. Martin Luther King Jr., one of the newer memorials. is beautiful, beautiful memorial. And we're reminded in this memorial that all people are created in God's image and created equal. And then the next memorial, what's this one? The Lincoln Memorial. This picture does not do it justice. Have you seen this Lincoln Memorial? It's gigantic. It's a beautiful memorial. Beautiful to see. Now here's the thing. Kids love memorials. They're physical. They're concrete. I remember my first time going to Washington, D.C. and jumping up on Abraham Lincoln's leg and just clinging to it and jumping all over that thing until the police and security came and kind of took me away. I said, don't ever do that again. But I was all over it. It was physical. I could touch it. It was there. Now, let me ask you parents with young kids, what is the one word our young kids say all the time? One word they say all the time. Mine, yes, but why? They say why, don't they? All the time. And in this passage, God says to his children of Israel, build this memorial, and that these rocks will remind you of what I did, yes, but your kids one day are going to come up to you and say, why these rocks? And then they'll ask, well, when did this happen? Why did this happen? And then you can say, why these are here? Now, most likely, you and I will not be building a gigantic memorial in our backyard. Our homeowners associations probably won't allow for that. It's not in the bylaws. And in a few moments, I'll give you a few examples of what this could really look like. And some of you do it already. But I'll share some tangible examples. But I want you to take a moment and think about, in this moment, the people you love and care about. 
So for parents, it's your kids. For aunts and uncles, it might be your niece and nephews. Or people in your life that you have influence over and that you care about. And I want you to think of these two questions on the screen. Question number one. What am I giving them to ask all these questions about? And then secondly, what can I put in their path and life that they will encounter, then ask, what happened here? What am I putting in their path in their life so they'll eventually ask, what happened here? So, we pay attention to what God's doing. When he does something, we build a memorial so others say, what happened here? And the third thing is we explain what the event points to and what God did. We look at the memorial and we explain what that memorial points to and then what God did. In Joshua chapter 4, verse 7, it says, In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. God does not say, tell them I'm holy. When they ask, tell them I'm sovereign. What God says is tell them about the day you stood on the other side of the river and it was overflowing its banks. Show them where the ravine was, where the rivers were, that were at cars way further than it ever was. Show them. Show them what God did. Show them where the water was and what God did. It's concrete. Their minds can grasp it. Now, don't miss this next part, because we're to tell the details of what happened. But we need to take it one step further and say, this isn't just about a history lesson. It's about God. That this is what happened, but this is God's role in what happened. So, in this story we just read, it was God who told Joshua what to do. It was God who told the priest to step into the river. That was God's idea. It was God who took his mighty arm and pushed back the water. It was God who caused the people to walk on dry ground. It was God who told them to go back in and get the stones and build a memorial. It was all God. God did that. You know, my grandparents, my grandma and grandpa Carrie, were incredible. They died quite a few years ago now. But I remember as a little kid going up to their farm. They were farmers in central Wisconsin. And I lived in Milwaukee about three hours away. And I would go up to their farm with my family a few times a year. And I loved getting time with them. And one thing you got to know about my grandfather is he had a very big nose. You don't get it. I'm talking ginormous. Okay? Picture a big nose right now. It's much bigger than what you can imagine. It's ginormous, gigantic nose. It's incredibly big. But there was something wrong with it. There was something that no one ever talked about in our family. It was, it was like sw permanently swollen. It had dimples on it. it had, he had big nostrils, and there were little scars on either side of it. It was kind of difficult to look at. And I remember when I was nine or ten years old, I was wrestling with my grandfather and just casually, when we had finished wrestling off the cuff, said, Grandpa, why is your nose so big? And then I felt kind of guilty for saying that. <laughs> And he kind of smiled. And then he said, you know what? He goes, I never told you, did I? And I said, no, tell me what. And he said, well, when I was 16 years old, I was on, at my house, and I was fooling around with my friends. And we have a mule. We had a mule on our property. 
So I was going to be all tough with all my friends, and I grabbed little rocks, just little pellets, and hit at the mule. And then I got really brave, my grandfather said, and came over to the mule. And then the mule just went boom and kicked him right in the nose. I know, exactly. Knocked him right over. Like, yikes. And my grandfather said when he came to, he was in the hospital. He completely knocked him out. And that his parents and the nurses and doctors, they all came around him and said, you, got, you realize how lucky you are to be alive? And they almost started shaking. No one survives this, they said. No one survives that kind of a kick. So my grandfather said to me, he says, every time I look at this ugly nose, like my grandfather knew his nose was big. Like they didn't have the Newport Beach Cosmetic Center back then, you know? <laughs> they couldn't like fix it, you know? He goes, he goes, but he honestly, he goes, every time I look at my nose, he goes, I remember that God saved my life. <laughs> I remember that God saved my life. And then in a more poignant moment, he said, he goes, Mike, when I was young, every time I feel sad or feel down and discouraged, he goes, I remember that God loves me. In some crazy way, my grandfather's nose is a memorial. <laughs> it is. It's something that I remember. That he not only explained what happened, but he showed me. And he pointed it back to God. He somehow connected the dots to me. You know, our God is not just a God from the past. He's alive today. He's moving today. He, he's revealing stuff to us. If we only have the eyes to see and are looking, he'll confirm his presence in our lives. The more we learn how to become aware. There's so much God shows us every day that I think we just miss, that he wants to show us. He's excited to reveal to us. You know, it was St. Augustine who said, it is he who made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Do you believe this is what the next generation needs? Do you believe that there's a restlessness and a hopelessness in young people, that they just don't need to know about the history of what God did, or something that he did in the past. But they need to be reminded that they are children of God themselves. And that they have a plan that God has for their lives as well. That God created them. They're created by God and for God. And what we need to do is help connect the dots. You know, we serve a God who's very present, but he's invisible. He's not physically here like you and I. But he's here. But one of our responsibilities is to help connect the dots and say, look what God did. When God moves, to, does something to build a memorial and point to it and say, this is why this is here, and this is what God has done. To connect the dots, to say, you see the event, you know what God did. This is what he did, and this is how we know that this is what God did. So we have a memorial, the event it remembers, what God did, and then we show others what it says about God. Then we show others what it says about God. Joshua 4.24a says, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. There is a purpose and reason why God did it the way he did it. Why he chose the highest tide of the year. The only time of the year that it was impossible to cross. Why did he choose that time? Well, it tells us in the passage, doesn't it? It says so that people would see the event, give glory to God, and get a glimpse of his character. And say, oh, that's the God you serve. He's that powerful? Oh, I get it now. I'm starting to understand. You know, for us as parents with our families, when we pray for God to provide something for our family and he provides it, we point it out and say, isn't God good? Isn't he tangible in his blessings to us? Yes, mom and dad have jobs and we make money and God provides all that. But isn't God a loving, generous, and gracious God? Look what he did. Or when we mess up, 
and we humbly have to go to the person we, we offended or sinned against, whether it's a coworker, or a friend, or even our child, and say, would you please forgive me? That might even be an opportunity for us to say, and don't we serve a forgiving God that we can bring anything we've done to and he forgives us too. Isn't God forgiving? And when we do that, it takes it out of the abstract, doesn't it? Of just saying, oh, God's good and God's merciful and he's this and that. We say, here's a tangible example of God's faithfulness and his goodness playing out right now before you. The last point is this, the so that. In this text, the last thing we're given is a so that. And that is so that we will know how to respond to God. All of this takes place so that we'll know how to respond to God. Joshua 4 verse 24 says, And so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now fear in this text does not mean being afraid of in this context. What it means is to be in awe of to be in reverence of, to look at God as holy and awesome and mighty and to realize that that same God is with us intimately and loves us. It's to be in awe of, to, to respond to God that way. In our day today, in the church, there's two tangible memorials we practice all the time, and that's baptisms and communion. Through baptism, a person is baptized when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, We've heard it said that it's an outward sign of an inward change. And when someone's baptized, we stand around them and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we drop them into the water carefully, submerging them, representing that they're dying to their old self. And then they come right back out, representing the new life they have in Jesus Christ through baptism. Through communion, the practice Jesus gave us, we practiced time and again. We've been practicing this as a church since the Last Supper, since the night that Jesus was betrayed and he took bread and the cup. And he said to his disciples, he said, this is my body, this bread, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup after supper and said, this is my blood that was poured out over you, washed for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus said, as often as you break this bread and eat it and take this cup, remember that I died for your sins and rose again. That's what we're to remember, practices of the church. For in my family, one of the things that I have as a memorial to remember is my wedding photo. My wife and I have been married um, 15 years now, and we both come from divorced families. Both our parents divorced at, I think, three and a half years So once we hit the four-year anniversary, it was kind of like uncharted territory for us. It just was. And I look at this picture, and when I look at this picture, I'm reminded that God took two people from opposite sides of the country and brought us to Irvine, California at the same time. And through giving and taking away in both of our lives, he brought us together. And whenever I look at this picture, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness because I hadn't a clue what it meant, what it looked like to be married. I still struggle with that. And yet I'm reminded of God's faithfulness through the good times and the bad. And whenever my kids look at this picture, which is all the time, of course, they're just staring at it. Oh, mommy and daddy. Of course they are. But occasionally, when they look at the picture, hopefully they're reminded too. God kept us together. Another example is one of my fears of being a parent, because my dad wasn't around very much, was that I wouldn't be able to parent my kids well and that I'd I'd make the same mistakes my dad did. 
And it was just, I literally just terrified me. I was afraid of it. And I told my friend Matt Collins this while my wife was pregnant with Austin, our first son. And he said, Mike, why don't you try writing a journal and keeping a journal for your son and each kid that you have and child and keep a journal of, of what you're learning and reflections you want to pass down to them. And it's the best advice, honestly, I've ever been given, ever have been given is this, because I started this. So I started a journal for my son when three months before he was born and, and my daughter later on. And each page says, like, you're not born yet. And then a dot, 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 and I start writing. And here's a couple of pictures on the screen of, and this isn't rocket science and there's nothing fancy, but this is my daughter Kylie. And whenever we do an outing or there's some meaningful moment in our relationship, I'm like, I should write this down. It's maybe three or four times a year max that I write in the book. But I'll just write, add a picture. And my plan is, and here's one of Austin too, next page. And again, nothing fancy, kind of goofy actually. But this is my son's first mission trip to Peru. We gave away wheelchairs. He's 10 years old. And I wanted him to remember what we did and, and so on and so forth. And the idea is like this. It's not anything fancy and, and all that, but I'm going to give this to my kids on their 18th birthday. So if you know them, don't say anything because it's a surprise. So please don't say anything. But I'm going to give it to you as one way to remember as a father to my kids. For us, first of all, it's never too late to start any idea like this or anything. So just know that as God's stirring ideas up in you for memorials, just kind of just sit with the Lord and think, what could that be for you to help you remember God's faithfulness, to help you pass on what God has done and who he is to the next generation? What could that look like for you? We have a few days left in this year, and then we're moving right into 2015. I want to ask you, challenge you, have you considered blocking out a little time today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, a little time to spend with God and to reflect on this past year, what happened. Ask God to trigger in your mind memories of what happened and help connect the dots for you of God being in those moments. Very practically, you might literally just take your phone and just start scrolling over the past year of pictures and see what stands out. Facebook helps us out, doesn't it, with the year in review on Facebook with all those pictures. Did you get that? You can look at that. For those of you who journal already, look back over your journal entries. Those of you who did the one-year Bible and read through it with our church this past year, maybe look over what you highlighted over this past time. There's just some ideas, but my encouragement, take time to sit with the Lord and to look back. You know what God tells us to remember all throughout the Bible, but what's really curious is there's one thing that God tells us to forget. He tells us to remember to forget, and that's the sin that he's forgiven in our lives. Two verses say this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And in Hebrews 10, verse 18, it says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. When we sin against God and we bring it to God and ask for forgiveness, God forgives us of our sins on the spot. And then he does this miraculous thing. It's, it's amazing. He remembers it no more. The God who knows everything says time and again, the one thing he forgets on purpose is our sin. He forgets much quickly than we, more quickly than we do. And as we begin to go into this new year, I end with this. What in this next year do you need to bring with you into 2015? What memorials do you need to bring with you into the new year of God's faithfulness in your life? And 
What do you need to forget and leave back in 2014? What do you need to leave behind once and for all? Past guilt that you know of something you did and you've been forgiven of, but you haven't been able to let go of? Shame that you're still holding on to, that God says be free already, that you need to leave behind? Are there old habits and addictions that you just don't want to try with the New Year's resolution to overcome, but that you want to bring to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, take this away from me. I just give it to you, God. I surrender. I'm leaving it in 2014. What do you need to leave behind? Well, as the band comes up and we continue to respond, or we respond out of the message, I want to invite you to do something pretty bold. And it's very simple, and it'd be very easy to stay in your seat and not do it and go on your day. But I want to invite you to come forward during this time. And at the tables on either side, there's a little um, piece of paper and a pencil. And to come forward during the response and just write down perhaps the one thing you want to dedicate to God to take into the new year, that during this message, God's triggered that in your heart. And it's like, yes, that's it. I'm going to remember. And bring it and put it in the prayer wall. And for those of you who want to leave something behind, to come forward and to write that down and leave it in the prayer wall and say, God, I'm giving this to you. I'm releasing it once and for all, Lord Jesus. Would you take it? So with that in mind, would you bow your heads as we begin this time of response? And we just pray for more of you, Holy Spirit. Pray for more of you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence in this place today, God. We thank you for what you're stirring within each of us right now, Heavenly Father. And God, would you engage our hearts in worshiping through singing? God, would you bring to mind your faithfulness, the ways you've been faithful in our lives? God, would you remind us? And God, for those things we need to leave at the foot of the cross and, and let go of, God, would you give us courage to do so today? Because you are loving, forgiving, faithful God. And you call us to remember your faithfulness and at the same time forget our sins, God, that you've forgiven. We love you, God, and we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.